Welcome to Never Again is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism. I am Evelyn Marcus, and in addition to being a psychologist, I am featured in the documentary about anti-Semitism, Never Again is Now. I am a Dutch Jew and the daughter of Holocaust survivors. In 2006, I immigrated to the United States because of the rising anti-Semitism in Europe. I am Phyllis Simbler-Miller and the founder of the free nonfiction Holocaust theater project, thinedgeofthewedge.com. I grew up in the Midwestern town of Elgin, Illinois, where everyone in the community had parents or grandparents who came from Europe to escape the czar and pogroms and not because of the Holocaust. Yet in 1970, only 25 years after the end of World War II, my husband and I were stationed in Munich, Germany, the U.S. Army, and it changed their lives forever. Today, we have a very special and distinguished guest from the United Kingdom. Her story is a remarkable example of speaking up against anti-Semitism that will greatly inspire us all. Right Honorable Joan Ryan was the United Kingdom member was the United Kingdom Member of Parliament for Enfield North for 18 years. She resigned from the Labour Party in February 2019, citing the anti-Semitism crisis that was overwhelming the party, her party under the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn and his refusal to action or condemn it. June 2019, Joan was appointed as the Honorary President of Labour Friends of Israel, having been the organization's chair since 2015. Joan was appointed as a member of Her Majesty's Most Honorable Privy Council in 2007, which advises Her Majesty the Queen. Joan served as a member of the United Kingdom government for five years as a government whip and a minister in the Home Office. In July 2007, she was appointed as the Prime Minister's Special Representative to Cyprus. Right Honorable Joan Ryan is currently the Executive Director of LNET UK, a non-profit organization dedicated to strengthening relations between Europe and Israel based on shared democratic values and strategic interests. Joan, we are extremely honored to have you on our show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Evelyn. Thank you, Phyllis. It's my pleasure to be here. My honor to be asked to do this with you. Thank you. Thank you. So my first question is, our first question is, um, what, what is your personal motivation to speak up against anti-Semitism and to support Israel? I, th I think there's probably three main reasons. One, I think, is my upbringing. Um, my parents were um, immigrants from Ireland to the United Kingdom, to well, to from the Republic of Ireland to England um, during and just after the Second World War. And they faced a lot of prejudice. There was a lot of prejudice against the Irish. They could, you know, trying to find somewhere to live. There was notices that said things like no dogs, no blacks, no Irish need apply. Um, it was just really hard 
for Irish people. And so they kind of stuck together a bit like communities do when they need to protect themselves and each other. Uh, but instead of becoming embittered, my parents um, brought me and my three sisters up to believe that um, you had to be fair. Fairness really mattered, tolerance, decency, um, and not judging others by some of those criteria that leads to racism, ethnicity, race, um, creed, um, sometimes country of origin, all, kind, you know, all the reasons why people can be racist. We were brought up to think that was wrong. And if you were being fair, you wouldn't be judging people on the basis of those characteristics that we were all the same. So I think that was kind of fundamental. And then I joined the Labour Party in the 1970s, the late 1970s, as a student. Um, and I joined it because at that point in the UK, there was a big upsurge in racism, mostly against black and Asian. And we had all the anti-Nazi League marches um, against this. And I, I joined that movement because I absolutely believed it was wrong to be racist. So I joined the Labour Party to fight racism. Of course, the irony of that is that 40 years later, I find I'm leaving the Labour Party for the very same reason, because of racism, so I could stand up to it again. Which, you know, an irony, yes, but actually very distressing. Um, and I think the third reason that... Um, that brought into very sharp focus for me how dangerous anti-Semitism is. The reason why I know it's racism, because one of the things we found out during the terrible Corbyn years was that people often didn't relate to the idea of anti-Semitism. We did some focus groups, those of us who formed a, a small group to fight this. And when we'd say to people, or the, the moderators would say anti-Semitism, when they got comfortable, they kind of say, "Well, what you know? What exactly is that? How 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 does it happen? Why who who does it hurt? Or what do you mean? Why is it racist?" Um, when we said it's racism against Jews and explained it, people then got it and rejected it. So what we were discovering is, you know, many people don't really understand why anti-Semitism is racism. They think it's something different or separate, or they just don't really know what it is. But I did know what it was. During the 1980s, I worked as an oral historian for the Imperial War Museum in London. And I, um, I was a freelancer and I was interviewing civilians, mainly Bevan boys and evacuees, uh, civil people who'd been you know, in civilian life during the second World War, firefighters, things like that. And towards the end of um, January one year, before we had a Holocaust Memorial Day, I saw this huge article in our local paper, the Hendon and Finchley Times. And it was by a man called Freddie Noller, who was an Auschwitz survivor. And of course, the 27th of January is Auschwitz liberation, as, as we all know. Um, but I didn't know a lot about it. I wasn't, uh, I never had any contact with Jewish people really. I didn't grow up now in Jewish, a Jewish community and it wasn't a community my parents were in any way connected to. 
So I knew really very little about Jewish community. But what I didn't have was some kind of, you know, a, 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 a prejudice that I was brought up with towards anybody. So when I uh, saw this article by Freddie Nolai, I asked the keeper of our department, the head of the department, why aren't we interviewing people like, like this? He was in Auschwitz. This is unbelievable. He's here in, in North London. We should be talking to him, surely. She said, you better put the project paper together and go and do that because they, the full-timers were still interviewing Gallipoli veterans from the First World War. I thought, you know, by the time they get round to these people. Um, so I went to see him and honestly, ladies, it was an education. Uh, it, a heartbreaking one, really. Except that, you know, he was so strong and positive. Um, it did help you to see some of the real, you know, the best and the worst of human beings, really. He being the best and the strength he'd shown. And of course, the worst, what he'd witnessed and experienced in Auschwitz. So he then put me in touch with some other organisations. I ended up interviewing um, uh, people who'd been in Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen and Dachau and people who lived, who'd been in ghettos and people who'd been on forced marches and different work camps. And I think... Uh, what this did was didn't you know make me not be anti-Semitic because I wasn't anti-Semitic to start with, but what it did do was drive home to me what the ultimate price to pay could be for anti-Semitism and for letting it enter into your political system and rot your democracy. So it's a bit long-winded. Sorry, I think they're the reasons why I had such strong views about it. Very personal experience, right? Uh, experiencing discrimination as an, uh, as, well, as my parents in, in the United Kingdom and, and also um, hearing the personal experiences of Holocaust survivors um, who have been in Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that motivated you to fight racism and, and anti-Semitism included. Um, does it also influence your, your activism for Israel? Um, to a degree, but that's not really, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Israel's a democracy. It's the only democracy in the Middle East. It doesn't get everything right, but it should be judged by the same standards as any other democratic nation, not continually held up for, for criticism um, that is of a completely different order than any other democracy um, it, it is held to. And it, so, I, I, so I look around and I think, well, you know, why is Israel subjected to that kind of excessive and unfair scrutiny? Scrutiny is a good thing, but not when it's been used to persecute unfairly. And my conclusion is that anti-Zionism um, is the modern day iteration of a centuries old hatred called anti-Semitism. And so there is that link. But when I first became an MP, I was asked would I join Labour Friends of Israel? Um, well, 
I was an easy one to get, really, because I just said, yes, of course I will. <laughs> but not not without thinking. I knew it was important. Um, so I joined and I went to Israel a few times with Labour Friends of Israel and I supported them. So in 2015, when they asked me to accept the appointment of chair, I knew things weren't as easy as when we had Tony Blair or Gordon Brown as leader. I knew things were more difficult and the party had, you know, developed a somewhat, um, they, they were a somewhat anti-Israel set of politics that were um, couched within their pro-Palestinian, but you can be pro-Israel and pro-Palestinians. We're not at war with Palestinians. We want a decent life for all. Labour Friends of Israel believe in two states, and that's very much what I would like to see. So when they asked me to be chair, I accepted that appointment, and I knew it would be hard. But about six weeks, no, no, well, six weeks later, the new leadership election came along, and by the September, we knew Jeremy Corbyn would be leader. So I knew then it was going to be very difficult, but I also knew I'd accepted it in good faith. I'd been offered it in good faith. And you don't walk away when things get tough, because I think for Israel and for our Jewish communities, I think they know the true measure of a friend is you stand by people in the hard times. It's all so easy when it's easy. That's really what you just said is so compelling and brings us to the question of what did happen when you had new leadership in the Labour Party? How did, what, tell us about that anti-Semitism in the party and how it developed and how did it manifest itself? Um, I, I suppose what you have to remember is although we knew that Jeremy Corbyn and his supporters were hard left, um, if you've been in this political, very democratic environment all this time, um, you're not really, ex you know, we thought it would be difficult, but we weren't expecting it to be completely overwhelmed with the kind of politics that really I think are toxic and have caused a huge amount of damage to the Labour Party. Um, and the speed at which it happened when they, when the hard left captured the leadership of the Labour Party, the speed at which this kind of virus of anti-Semitism spread was absolutely shocking. Um, and then, of course, we had four years of this incident after incident and a lack of action, um, one revelation after another. So in terms of the first incident, I remember, and I stood up at a full parliamentary Labour Party meeting and asked the leader, Jeremy Corbyn, what he was going to do about it. Um, and this was young students, 18 and 19 year olds at Oxford University, um, went along to their Labour Club meetings. You'd think we'd want to encourage youngsters to get involved. You know, they're the pipeline to future leaders. And they go along and they were called Zios as a term of abuse. And it was made very clear they weren't part of the community of the good and they weren't welcome.
because they were not just Jews, but Zionists, which I just think is, uh, and it took him a very long time to decide to appoint someone to look into it, to look into it. No action. That's just long grass, look into it, review, you know. Um, when I asked him what he was going to do about it, he said, why are you asking me? The first indication that as leader, he had no intention of action, acting on these things. There are all kinds of things. People, um, you know, all kinds of people were allowed to join the Labour Party who are not Labour Party. They're what we call hard left, Socialist Workers' Party, Workers' Revolutionary Party, Communist Party of Great Britain, Marxist Leninists of Great Britain. Honestly, Evelyn and Phyllis, every single hard left and crank in the country joined the Labour Party. The Labour Party went from about 150,000, 200,000 members to half a million members over the space of less than a year. And many of these would have been decent people with the right leadership, but with the leadership we had, um, well, you know, there was MPs who were, Labour MPs, who were currying favour with him by keeping their heads down or behaving as badly. So if they're doing that, you can't wonder that ordinary members start doing the same thing. Um, we had then revelations, pictures of him laying a wreath at the grave of those who, um, who the, 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 the terrorists who were behind the killing of the Israeli athletes in, in Munich at the Munich Olympics. I mean, this is horrendous. How could we have a Labour Party leader, a man who wants to be prime minister doing that? Um, and many, many other, other situations, people saying the most appalling things on Twitter, abusing those who were standing up to them and standing up to Israel because much of it was anti-Zionist anti-Semitism. And we were warning against it all the time and saying, look, this is this is anti-Semitism, and people were saying, but you can be anti, you can be um, anti-Zionist without being anti-Semitic. No, you can't. You can't. One of the lessons I think we we had to learn from this is you're not going to be able to stand up to anti-Semitism unless you stand up to anti-Zionism, because as I said, it is just the latest iteration in this hatred. Um, but he wasn't going to have that. Not at all. Um, there was in inquiries that were called a whitewash. People would say the most appalling, abusive things. They'd be suspended and then you'd hear nothing more. And you'd find uh, a couple of months later, it was like a revolving door. They were back in the party when really they should have been expelled. Um, people were just being persecuted at meetings. Jewish Labour MPs. Now, I'm not Jewish, and it was pretty abusive to me. But I think for the Jewish Labour MPs, I think it must have been absolutely appalling. It's a whole nother layer. You know, it, it, they're calling me names. You know, I'm, I'm not Jewish, and I don't have... Um, I think that fear that was quite evident to me that our Jewish community and our Jewish Labour MPs felt a sense of real unease. 
Um, when we came to the election in 2019, there was a survey done and 83% of the Jewish community said they were fearful of Jeremy Corbyn being prime minister. I imagine that, I mean, you know, the Labour Party, the party that should be the very bulwark, the first point of defence against this kind of thing has made a whole community of people fearful because they're being treated in a racist way. I, honestly, it's more than I could, could, could live with. I, just shocking. It crosses a red line, there's no question. So that's what was going on. And then people were saying, oh, well, don't worry because you know the public will hate him. They hate those kind of left-wing, hard left politics. He won't get elected. He's not left-wing, he's hard left. It's, a, it's another layer altogether. You know, we've got anti-Semitism, as you know, from the far right and the hard left, and they're both really extremists. So we came to an election in 2017 and he did so much better than anyone had predicted. And he was, he was only uh, in single figure seats away from being able to form a coalition with the other smaller parties and get into Downing Street. If he'd have won another half dozen or more seats, he could have started negotiations. So electoral viability or non-viability was no longer an argument and it never should have been. This is a, um, a case of, it's a moral argument that we should be making, not electoral viability. So uh, that changed the nature of how those of us who were willing to stand up felt about it. And you know, one of the worst things was, obviously those who are spouting anti-Semitism should be expelled, but all, all those who are downplaying the Holocaust, they too have to be held to account. But those who just keep their heads down, you know, who are silent, there are consequences to that silence. And they are public representatives who want to be in government. And I think if you're not going to speak up on an issue like this, if you haven't got, it's not bravery because we're not at risk. Bravery is when you're really frightened and I'm not frightened, but it does take a little bit of moral courage. It isn't the easiest thing to do, but why on earth have you stood for parliament if you're not going to do the right thing? And I, I just think that that was one of the most disappointing things it, that happened during this. So on we go and we get to a point where I just knew that I needed to stand up and say, you know, you can't vote for this man because it was obvious that we could have another election at any point in time. And I knew if I did that, he would expel me. And they were trying to oust me from my seat, but they weren't quite managing it, but it was very unpleasant. I had death threats. Um, you don't have to be Jewish to be told you're going to be shoved in the ovens. That's <laughs> absolutely shocking. There was people sat in cars outside my constituency office, staring at my staff, two wonderful women doing all my, all my casework with me, being treated to that. And they're not public figures. They haven't said anything. But the fact that they worked for me. We had, um, had a train, like an Auschwitz train, pasted to my office door. 
I mean, they're just vicious. Um, really, really unpleasant. So knowing an election was coming and all this was going on, and then Jewish Labour women left, were leaving the party. Jewish people per se were leaving the party. It was actually a demonstration in Parliament Square called Deanu, Deanu? Enough is enough. Yeah. Deanu, yeah. And, you know, no one could believe that the Jewish community of London were having to demonstrate in Parliament Square against the Labour Party. So, you know, I decided I was going to have to resign because if I'd said what I said and didn't resign, he'd expel me. And then if I carried on saying it, people would say it was sour grapes. I thought, you've only really got this, this, this one... Um, this one bow and arrow in this fight and I've got to make it count so I resigned and I called him out for anti-semitism I did it in a national newspaper and then for 24 hours and turned into 48 hours I did every last bit of media national and local that I possibly could I did it on purpose and they said it's a vendetta and that's not a vendetta nothing vendetta about it I've been warning him for four years it was not a vendetta what it was was an exposing of the toxic nature of his politics the danger it posed not just to the Jewish community and people would say to me why are you standing by them one newspaper continually called me the Jewish Labour MP I used to phone them up and a national paper and say I'm not Jewish. And they said, oh, we're sorry. I said, no, it's not an insult. I don't mind. But the whole point is that I'm not Jewish because one of the things I absolutely believe is this isn't just a problem for Jews. This is racism and it rots democracy. It rots our society. What kind of world do we want our kids and our grandkids to grow up in? It's not that kind. I'm absolutely clear about that. And I just think it's unforgivable to stand back and say, it's Jews' problem. We don't say that about any other form of racism. It's, if you believe that racism is wrong, we all stand together. And so I left, I called it out, I did as much media as I could, and I continue to fight it right up to, well, beyond the election, till he resigned. I wanted to ask you about the consequences of this action. But with an unlimited time frame, can, you said something very important twice. You said that it's uh, it rots democracy, the anti-Semitism and racism, which I just wrote a blog post in Times of Israel, which started out with this premise. I very much believe it's not a Jewish problem, but a humanity problem. So what is it about England, you know, as an American um Evelyn's Dutch, but as an American, you know, we were, you know, British for a long time and we studied history. What is it in Magna Carta and what's going on in Britain to become so hateful towards groups of people? Well, I mean, I can only talk about, in a way, this experience, but I think it holds a mirror up to many other uh, forms of hatred and what happens. I think there are lessons we've learned from this. And I think there are some parallels in the United States as well with the hard left. I think one of the lessons is how important leadership is. Leadership really matters. It's 
You've got to have good and decent leaders, strong leaders, but with a good vision and a commitment to democracy. I think that really, really matters. I think you've got to absolutely stand firm against extremism at the very outset. If you wait and think it's going to get better or it's all right, we'll have an election, it'll be gone. You know, the demands of the hard left or the far right can never be satisfied. You've got to stand up to it immediately. Whilst you're not at any risk, you're not worried about your children or anybody else being attacked. I just think of the things I've read about the Second World War and how good people did nothing and looked the other way. And by the time they were willing to help, they were too scared to help because they were then at risk. Yeah. So you'd stand up immediately. I think we just have to realise that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And you will never snuff out anti-Semitism unless you also stand up to anti-Zionism. Yeah, we, I think we, we, do see it, we do see it, all, I think, all over the world that um, the hard right and the hard left uh, express themselves anti-Semitic. The hard right maybe not so much anti-Israel, but more anti-Jewish um, as yeah. a people. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, the hard left very much anti-Jewish state. Um, we see it all over the world. And we also see that the, the moderate left and right are a bit under pressure from those groups. Well, I, think the hard left, I think the hard left, uh, Evelyn, use the plight of the Palestinians as a shield for all they've ever said, for all the stirring up of trouble, um, all the hatred of BDS and uh, things like that. It's not done the Palestinians one iota of good because that isn't really what it's about. They're not seeking peace. They are seeking division. They're not building bridges and coexistence. They're driving peoples apart. And we'll, you know, if we leave it to them, we will never see peace. But I do think that there's some hope in the story I've been telling you, in that, um, first of all, it always feels right to do the right thing. I, I passed politicians now in my working life now and all those who should, I think should have stood up they look a little embarrassed I hope I hope I hope some lessons have been learned there I only have to get up in the morning and look myself in the mirror and I've never regretted my actions I don't say it wasn't hard it was and the year after I left parliament after all that time you know, that was hard. It was the job in the million, the job I'd always wanted. I, 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 you know, I really thought that kind of public service absolutely mattered. You're at the centre, the hub of all this decision-making activity. It's a very exciting job. You feel like you've got this possibility of, if you're not in power, at least influencing and putting into practice the things you believe in. And, you know, to have to walk away from that um, is hard, but it's the right thing to do. And the reason I think it's right is A, because it's morally right, and B, because it matters, it makes a difference. And I know 
that myself and the half a dozen others who then came up, we made a difference because what we did was we drew back a curtain and we showed the public the real toxic nature of these kind of politics because people are not stupid and too often are the electorate under, uh, underestimated. And they know if people with that career are walking away and calling out that leader, their own leader, people don't do that lightly in politics because end your career, um, then there's something seriously amiss. And in that election of the 13th of December, 2019, the Labour Party had its worst result since 1935. And coming back from the doorstep, the candidates were saying to me, the Labour candidates, it's not Brexit, Joan, it's not to do with Europe. They're saying, we can't vote for that man, he's awful, isn't he? And I, I'm sad to have to say this, but that's what we had to do. And there wasn't enough of us doing it, but it worked. And it makes, the reason I think that's a message of hope is because I think it shows some fundamental decency about the public, the people, if you can get that message across. And I feel that's what we did. And I'll always feel proud of that and the people who stood and did it with me. Very, very proud. So, so holding uh, the leadership accountable at the cost of your own career, not only you, but a few colleagues as well, um, in, in your party, um, um, eventually got through through to the public, and they um, um, they they held the party accountable at the elections, and it it cost yeah. votes, and that's how they learned, right? So that leadership yeah. was out, and new leadership came in. So so you had an impact. You you paid a big price, but you had an impact, and so did your colleagues who were doing we similar did. things. Yeah. So that, that's that's very very promising also we can, we Evelyn can... I have a great job now so you know <laughs> people good. shouldn't and and my colleagues who came with me have mostly thrived so it you know there are always those who will respect what you did and the job I'm in now it's the first time in my life that someone came and I think call it headhunting asked me to do the job you know as a politician you go around begging to do the job please vote for me that's great so yes so there there is appreciation found afterwards yes. for it's, it's your it's handling. its own reward and it's not the end of the road if, if right you, you know there are people who see what you've done and they 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 appreciate it that's great um, to hear that's but you know this this job i do now is so important because we're, we're like, you know, we're non-party political and we are building across the parliament in the UK, a community of members of parliament who are pro-Israel, who are against anti-Semitism, who are willing to stand up on that. And we're connecting them right across Europe because Elnet is based right across Europe. And I... Hello. We seem to be frozen at the moment. Evelyn, are you there? I'm there. Okay, Joan seems to be frozen. Uh, let's talk a little about what she's doing that we know this is very important 
work to get people in the UK to understand about being pro-Israel without disconsidering, if that's such a word, everyone else. Actually, it looks like we've lost Joan at the moment. But let's give her a few minutes to get back. And there's something that she said that I want to emphasize. Number one, she's a hero. I mean, she went from being a bystander to being an upstander at a great personal risk. And it's incredible. But I just wanted to say something about my play. The title of my play is Thin Edge of the Wedge. And it is a British expression. It's exactly what she talked about. It's about not saying anything until the wedge becomes so big that it's too late. And that's what she was talking about. And she chose to speak up before it was too late. Right in time. Yes. And I think that she deserves a huge appreciation from our listeners that she modeled what good leadership can be. Willing, in effect, to sacrifice your career. That's right, right? In order to just speak up. So we're not asking our listeners to sacrifice their careers. What we are asking our listeners to do is to speak up at the very beginning of small things, such as if someone says something anti-Semitic in front of you, not to say, oh, it's just a whatever, but to say very calmly, for example. And she was just in time because otherwise uh, this anti-Semitic party leader would have could have become prime minister, the chances Right. Yes. yes. And then uh, that would have given a, a change to the total policy of the UK towards Jewish people, towards uh, the state of Israel. Um, and so it was very important what she and her colleagues did. And I'm happy to hear that she says that although the pri immediate price was high, um, it was also recognized and acknowledged by yes. other people so that she could start a new interesting career. I'm happy to hear that. And also, I think um, she, she said that the, the, the voters heard, heard her and, and her colleagues. And that's very important. But I think in the future, we can all hold our representatives accountable um, with the standards that she set, right? Yes, yes. I, I think she gave us all, a, as we would say, a blueprint for what's really important. And I think she's back. Okay, that's good news. Let's see. Joan, welcome back. And we've been talking about you in a very <laughs> good way. We've been... We've been talking about what you said and, and saying to our listeners, this is a really heroic example of what people can do to go from being uh, bystanders to upstanders, but that you, I mean, you put your whole career at risk and, and we're not asking our listeners necessarily to do that, but really to learn from you. So I think this is a good time to say, what do you want to add that we haven't had a chance to talk about? I think we probably covered most of it. I just, um, I just think that, you know, we know there are people who are anti-Semitic, but I think 
I just think people need to know not to be a bystander. That, you know, there's, there's strength when we all act together and it's nothing to be frightened of. If we stand shoulder to shoulder and we stand up right from the outset, then that's how we fight this. And when I say fight it, I don't mean some kind of physical fight. I mean we stand together and we explain what it is so that people who don't really understand it, we don't write them off. You know, we, we work at getting the message across. And the more of us doing that, the more successful we'll be. And the more successful we are, the more decent a community we'll all have to live in. So it's, it's in all our interests. This isn't about being Jewish. This is about living in a decent society. Simple as. Yes. And we can all, we all can join uh, organizations that fight racism, including anti-Semitism, including anti-Zionism. Not all anti-racist organizations, unfortunately, uh, yeah. are fighting anti-Zionism or anti-Semitism, but many are. So yeah. we can join, we can all join these organizations, one of these organizations, whether it's mm. for campus or or, or in, in society at large. And um, and that so, is a way also of, of fighting together, right? They, they, they will give yeah. you advice and, 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 um, and vice yeah. versa. you can give them advice. And the Labour Party's changed. You know, it's still got a lot of work to do to root out all these anti-Semites, but it's working on it. It's got a better leadership. And it's really important because that's Her Majesty's official opposition. At the next general election, which has to happen by, I think it's June 2024, they could be the government. So this work isn't just, you know, to be nice to people. This is absolutely crucial work. Absolutely crucial. I want a government that will stand up to this kind of thing. I want to live in a democracy that's based on good decent fundamental values yes yes absolutely we thank you so much for this absolutely enlightening and inspiring discussion we thank our listeners for listening any of you who have not yet seen evelyn's documentary never again it's now i highly highly recommend it you can see it in amazon or youtube for more information about my thin edge of the wedge play, which by the way, is a British expression, as I was saying when you were off. Um, you can uh, see it at thinedgeofthewedge.com and everyone, without putting yourself in physical harm, whenever you can speak up against anti-Semitism and all hate.